Good Saturday morning to you, everybody, and welcome to Mortgage Matters with Rob Weinberg. Rob, I'm Gary Byron. Rob, good morning. Good morning. How are you, buddy? Good. How you doing? I'm not doing too shabby. I, I got to tell you, I'm very pleased to see the copy of the book. You tell, you've told me about it. You've told us even on the air. I think uh, I, maybe on our on our pilot, on our debut, uh, you, were ta- you told me very briefly that you had written a book. It's entitled Mortgage Strategies for the New Millennium, Using Your Home Loan as a Financial Tool, written by the gentleman who's Name uh, bears this show here, Rob Weinberg. Um, wow, I, I it's it looks fantastic, and from what I understand, you're receiving rave reviews on it. Yeah, it's gotten really good feedback and uh, five star rated on Amazon. Amazon, you can folks, you can purchase this this uh, this book on Amazon. Um, however, you can also win it. You can actually get yourself a free copy. Of this book, you know, I, I say win it. You're not. You don't have to answer any questions or anything. I'm gonna. In fact, I'll tell you what. At the end of the show, I'll give you all the details on how you can obtain this book absolutely free. When I say free, I mean free. Out the door, shipping and handling. It's all paid for. It's all covered. You're just gonna get this book absolutely free. So stay tuned to the end of the show, um, and uh, I'll give you all the details on how you can claim your free copy. All right. So uh, I think today we're gonna talk a little bit about mortgage myths, right? That's correct. Um, what? Let's start off with this. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about credit first. Uh, there's a few different areas that I want to go into: buying a home and refinancing. But let's start with credit. What is the difference between a credit score from, let's say, I don't know, uh, oh, Credit Karma or Credit Sesame? Those online credit scores, you know, versus the credit score that a mortgage lender has. A lot of people think when they get a credit score from their credit card company in the mail or these online sites that that's their credit score. And it's a myth that there's just one credit score. It's unfortunate, but there's a lot of different credit scores and there's multiple credit bureaus. So when you get a credit score from something online or in the mail from your credit card company, that's going to be a consumer credit score. Unfortunately, like I said, it's pretty much worthless. It's just there to make you feel good and... You know, that's really the whole point of it is just to see if your score is going up or down. I've seen a lot of instances where the credit score you get online or from your credit card company could be 50 points higher or 50 points lower than the score that a mortgage lender is going to get. How can they get away with that? A score is a score. That, uh, you know, that's not the way it is. There's a lot of different versions of the credit score. There's actually nine different versions of the FICO scoring model. An auto lender is going to have one credit score. A mortgage lender is going to have another. A uh, credit card company is going to have another because they all weigh different factors. They're all lending you money for different reasons. Uh So you really want to look at the fine print. And I don't think I've had one scenario where someone said, Credit Karma said my score was a 680 and I pull a mortgage credit report and it's 680. It just never happens. I've seen it, like I said, 50 points higher, 20 points higher, 50 points lower and people get mad they get disappointed but it's a myth that there's just one credit score you know rob just last night i I, and i kid you not just last night i'm watching a tv commercial that says if you go to this credit score company's website or app just to check on your credit score it boosts you 10 to 13 points and i'm like why that's not how credit scores work in other words you've got terrible credit just by going on some credit scores app 
or a website that's going to boost your score? That that doesn't even seem fair. doesn't seem right. How can they get away with saying that? You know, they can create what they want for a credit score. Mm. And again, read the fine print. Understand how these companies make money. The way Credit Karma and Credit Sesame make money is by getting you to apply for a loan. Well, if you have a low credit score, you're not going to want to apply for a loan. You're going to be discouraged. But if they can give you a credit score that makes you look better than you think you are, all of a sudden, you're going to click that button. You're going to apply for a mortgage through them. You're going to apply for a credit card through them. That's how they get paid. But to your point, that's not the credit score that the banks even look at. It's not. And that's why people get disappointed when they realize that. So if you want a real credit score, you need to talk to a real lender, not an online company or not even the one you get in the mail from the credit card company. But in the context of a mortgage, you need to talk to a mortgage lender. All mortgage companies do use the same scoring model, and it's a FICO scoring model. Again, there's nine different versions. There's also something called a Vantage credit score, which a lot of these online companies are giving. And that's completely worthless. Not one lender I know of even uses the Vantage score, but they come out and say, oh, we're giving you this new innovative score. But again, nobody's adopted it yet. Maybe 10 years from now they will. But as of now, nobody has. It's all just a marketing. Doesn't thing. even make sense, right? You know, good Lord. Um, typically, how long does it take for credit reports to update, uh, especially when a change is made? So a huge myth people come to me with is the fact that they think if they paid a credit card off on a Monday, Mm -hmm. that on Tuesday it's going to show up on their credit report. And that's absolutely incorrect. Um, Most people can realize that there may be some delay, but let's talk about what that is. So specifically when it comes to a credit card, they're going to report the balance on the day after the statement end date. So you want to go to your credit card and you want to look at what is the statement end date. If the statement end date is the 10th, then they're going to report on the 11th. So whenever you make a change, doesn't matter when, they're going to report it once a month on that date. Typically, mortgage lenders report, you know, once a month, depending on the lender. Maybe it's in the beginning or maybe in the middle of the month. But the one people get hung up on is credit cards because they're constantly charging and paying and paying off. And they're really... uh you know, not known that they're in a situation where it could take up to even three or four weeks Uh for that to show up on their credit. So the best practice I use with my clients is to either wait the three or four weeks or look at that statement end date. And that's going to be when it reports. Should you even pay off your credit card? I was told one time, always have a balance. Even if it's like $40, then go make a purchase, go charge your gas, you know, you hate to say go charge your groceries, but go charge your groceries and then pay it off. In other words, keep a balance. Even if it's low, keep a balance. There's Is there an truth argument in that? for that, um, especially if you're trying to build credit. Mm-hmm. But in almost all cases, you're going to be best off just looking at it from a strategy standpoint. At, Let me pay this card off. Like you said, you pay it to zero and charge a tank of gas or, a, you know, groceries, a pack of gum, whatever it might be to keep it active. But don't feel like I need to keep a few hundred dollars on there. You want, as we've discussed in previous shows, to have 10% of the limit used. So on a $10,000 credit card, you don't want to have more than $1,000 used or they just start dinging you. The lower you can get that utilization ratio, if you can get it to 1% or less, it's going to be good. When I look at people that have the 800 plus credit scores, the A++, one thing they almost all have in common is they have credit cards with very high limits in relation to the balances. So they have either zero balances or, like you said, $20, $50. Interesting. See, this is why this is important as we are 
debunking um, in, in talking about mortgage myths, more specifically credit right now. How much impact does a credit inquiry have on a credit score? I was once told that, oh, don't don't go check your credit score. Why? It's my credit score. How else am I going to know? Oh, because if they know, you can only check it like two or three times every four months. Otherwise, it'll lower your credit score. If too many places, too many banks, too many lenders check on an individual's credit score, it could lower the score. Like, well, I want to know. So it's let's debunk that myth right now because it is probably the number one credit myth. Really, people have an issue with is inquiry. So first of all, if you check your own credit score. By the way, it's annualcreditreport.com is the free website you can go to to actually view your report. You can pay a couple dollars extra to get a credit score from them. But like I said, it may not be the same one a mortgage company is going to use. So when you check your own credit, there's not going to be any sort of hit to your credit score. It's considered a soft inquiry. Same thing when a credit card company you already do business with checks your credit. It's a soft inquiry almost all the time. Where people get caught up is when they apply for a mortgage or they apply for a loan and they get worried, well, I don't want to apply with more than one person because I heard it's going to knock my score down. I've even had people say to me, you checked my credit yesterday and now it went down by 20 points. That's absolutely a myth. Right from the FICO website, they say that a credit score or excuse me, a credit inquiry only will reflect your credit score or impact it by two to three points on average. Now, the lower credit score you have, the more it's going to impact you. The higher credit score you have, the less it's going to impact you. So if you have a 730, 750, 780 score and you go and apply for a mortgage, you may see no change. You may see two or three points. It's not as dangerous as people say. And the even more important thing about that is multiple lenders, having the credit score pulled by multiple lenders because FICO allows what's called a shopping window. They know that this day and age, consumers being sophisticated are going to want to talk to multiple lenders, make sure they're getting the best deal, make sure they have an advisor that they can trust through the mortgage process or whatever type of financing you're looking for. So they give you a 45-day shopping window where you could have your credit pulled literally by 50 mortgage companies in a 45-day window. And as long as it's a like inquiry, meaning a mortgage inquiry, mm-hmm. it's only going to impact you once. Uh, what about these um, car dealerships? Let's say you're looking for a car. Yeah, you know what? I've narrowed it down to these five dealerships. I'm going to go to try to go to all five over the weekend. Well, all five run a credit yep. report. Well, would that impact? Yes, it? it only impacts it once. Again, the, the shopping window, it's called. And this is something that hasn't been around forever. This is uh, a more modern approach that they've taken to Hmm. credit scoring because they know today's consumer is going to have access to multiple lenders, multiple options. So they put them into three categories on the shopping window. Mortgage inquiries, auto loan inquiries, and student loan inquiries. Those are the three that have the shopping window. But if you go out and you apply for 20 credit cards, it's my understanding that those are not in the shopping window. So it's only the three type of accounts, again, mortgages, student loans, and auto loans, where they know that there's going to be some shopping around. There's going to be some you know, different opinions you're going to want to get, different quotes, so to speak, and that's where they give you that shopping window. So then, Rob, I guess I should not ever be hesitant to have my credit reports pulled by multiple lenders. Then. As long as it's in that shopping window, if it's already been pulled once, the damage is done, whether it's three points, two points, whatever it may be, even if you have lower credit and it lowers your credit by eight or 10 points, you're still in a position where you can feel free and not worry about that credit score going down anymore. 
I once had a discussion with a buddy of mine. This goes back a number of years, saying how many credit cards the, the, the average person should have. You know, he goes, hey, I have two credit cards. Uh, I have a gas card and I have, a, I, I don't know if it was Lowe's or Home Depot or whatnot. I'm not trying to give anybody a plug, but like a department store card. So I'm like, okay, so you have like a, like a one MasterCard, one Visa. You have a gas credit card and then this, your favorite uh, department store. That's it, it, four. I mean, how many credit cards should a person have? Well, how many is too much? How many is too There's little? There's not a good answer to that. I would say, you know, if you're really trying to build your credit report and credit score up, you probably want to have a good, what we call a mix of credit. So it's not just credit cards. I'd say two or three credit cards is okay. You know, revolving credit cards. Um, I try to have people stay away from the store cards because those report a little bit differently. They report as a charge card, not an actual credit card. When I talk about credit cards, I'm talking about Visa or MasterCard, Discover, American Express type of logos. The big four. Not your Home Depot card, not your uh, Banana Republic card, none of those. It's not that those aren't going to help you, but they have a different impact and they're coded differently on the credit score. Because you can only utilize that card there. Exactly. Is Diners Club even around anymore? How I did really that... I don't see that. Yeah. No, not really Diners Club. No. Okay. But mix of credit is important, which is mix means mortgages, auto loans, student loans, no, personal loans. Do you have a good mix of credit? That's what we're looking for here, not just credit cards or what. Let's let's pivot a little bit here. Let's go from debunking some uh, credit myths into debunking some myths on buying a home. All right. So how much does a person typically need for a down payment on their first home? I want to be clear on that because it could be a different answer if you're on your second or third home. But on your first home, how much of a down payment would the average person need? As you know, on last week's episode, we talked in depth about this. So this is really fresh on my mind, and it is one of those huge myths. People think you need 20% down or more. I always thought that. No, 20%. absolutely incorrect. Modern mortgage finance allows you to get into a home on your first property with as little as 3 to 3.5% 3 down. Wow. You know, that's not an issue at all. 3 to 3.5% 3 is the answer. So don't worry. If you don't have 20%, there's plenty of options for you. Hmm. Are, are, are there other things besides the down payment that need to be paid when, when purchasing a home? Closing costs are the big thing people don't understand or realize or budget for. Closing costs are going to add another 3 4 maybe even 5%, depending on what area you're in of the country, to the purchase price. So you're going to need to have that money available. You also want to budget for maintenance on the property. You want to budget for repairs. Sure. If you want to paint a room, it might cost you three, four, five hundred dollars Well, if you just spend every dime getting into the home yeah. on your mortgage or, excuse me, your down payment and closing... You might be cleaned out, so you want to budget for that stuff up front, furniture, etc. I always get nervous because property taxes always go up. So what might be an affordable mortgage one year, three, four, maybe five years down the road may not become may not be affordable anymore. Whether you have a mortgage or not, property taxes are going to be there. So you can't buy a house based on you know what's the taxes going to be in five years. But like you said, it has to be affordable. Make sure it's affordable today and anticipate that the taxes are going to go up. Here in Connecticut, it's very common that the taxes go up pretty much every year. May only be a few bucks a month, but they're going to go up and you got to be prepared. All right, someone's going to buy a home and they're looking to buy a car too. Used, new, whatever. Let's say a $25,000 car. And it's not high end, it's but it's not low end. I don't know. I don't even know what the average car is. 25, 30 grand, whatever. Which should they buy first? Should they try to get the mortgage first? The mortgage first. first 
Not even a question. Okay. Mortgage underwriters are going to look at your debt-to-income ratio. The more debt you have, the harder it's going to be to get a mortgage. So you want to make sure that you buy that house first. The day after closing, you can go buy your car. (laughs) But do not have it done. If you have that option and that choice, I've seen people get priced out of even getting a mortgage at all because of the fact that they went a month earlier and they bought the $800 a month car payment, which could be a mortgage payment in some areas. Pay off credit cards prior to getting that mortgage too? Or pay them down at least? Absolutely. Something to discuss with your mortgage advisor as early as possible because, like we said, it can take a little bit of time for that to report. The less debt you have, Mm -hmm. the easier time you're going to have getting a mortgage, specifically on this debt-to-income piece that that we're discussing. Typically, how long does the buying process take? I would say the average is three to four weeks. Um, You know, 30 to 60 days could be more typical now because the market is so hot. But, um, you know, could be as little as that three to four weeks. And I would say before the pandemic, that was really common, you know, to have like a 30 day contract period. Now, because of all the activity, most contracts are going to be in that 30 to 60 day window. That's what you want to plan for as far as the time when you start the process and sign that contract until you're actually going to close on the home and move in. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Uh, this is A lot of this pertains uh, to people who live here in Connecticut, although you can certainly apply this if you plan on moving and, and just outstanding advice, although you were talking specifically about you know your tax, your property taxes are going are gonna to go up if you remain in Connecticut. I want to change gears here really quickly. Uh, we're going to go from uh, debunking myths. We've already discussed debunking some credit myths. We just spoke about debunking some uh, myths when it comes to buying a home. Let's debunk some myths that pertain to refinancing. Um, is there a benefit to refinancing if I already have a very low interest rate? This is a paradigm shift that a lot of people have to understand yeah, because bet. they feel like oh, well, I already have a 3% or a 2% mortgage. Like, I have the best rate I can get. I shouldn't refinance. Absolutely incorrect. As we've discussed and will continue to, it's uh, there's a lot of other benefits to refinance besides just lowering your rate. We're talking about shortening the loan term, taking you from a 30-year mortgage to a 20-year, 15-year mortgage. Who cares what the rate is? It's about the time that it's going to take you. People get so wrapped up in the rate, you'd be better off paying a 10% rate for five years than you would take paying a 5% rate for 10 years. And think about that for a second. It's not about the rate. It's about the total interest over time. That's where the mortgage companies make their money. So that's one reason why you might want to refinance. Even if your rate is going to go up, if you're shortening the length of time, you may actually lower the amount of interest that you're going to pay. So that's one. And then debt consolidation, as we've talked about, is mm. huge. Okay, we can save people five hundred, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars a month by consolidating their debt into their mortgage. I don't care what their rate is right now. A lot of the time, the rate could actually go up, and it still makes sense because we're actually improving the cash flow. We're taking you know high interest credit card debt, medical bills, etc., sure. rolling it into the mortgage. So it's not necessarily always about the, the lowest percentage rate. It's you want to de- you want to minimize how, the length of your mortgage. I always thought one time, I, was it you or somebody I was talking with? Uh, they're like, you never want to pay off your house. Don't pay off your mortgages. Everybody's financial circumstance is different, and there are some people that you know get a good tax deduction or have certain tax deductibility with mortgage interest and different things that go along with that. So some financial advisors do recommend that you keep a mortgage because your money can work harder 
for you in other places, without a doubt. But it's not about the interest rate, like you said. It's about what is the total amount that you're going to pay over the life of the loan, hmm. closing costs, interest, fees, etc. And we we really need to look and say, where are you at right now? What's your cost and what's your total cost going to be on the new loan? And you'd be surprised to see even if the rate is going up or staying around the same, you can really reduce that interest. Now, can I refinance again if I just refinanced, let's say, just a year ago, 12 months ago? Or, or like, how Absolutely. often should you? You know, people yeah. have this thing in their mind that, oh, I can only refinance once every year or five years or whatever was passed down to them by their friend or relative that thought that they knew. I've had multiple clients refinance two to three times within like an 18-month period. Whoa. If there's a benefit, that's what we need to look at. What's the benefit? Maybe we refinance you and consolidate your debt and save you 500 a month, and then eight months later, we refinance you again, lower your rate on your mortgage, and we save you another 200 a month. If you have that closed mind, you're going to miss out on opportunities, especially right now. Well, then how do I know if I even have enough equity in my home in order to refinance? You know, the answer to that, it's a it's a difficult answer because you as a consumer, as a homeowner, don't know what your house is worth. You're not a real estate professional. So I think the best route to go, a lot of consumers just go online. They go to Zillow. They go to Realtor.com. And they say, oh, well, it says my house is worth this. But you really want to talk to a mortgage advisor because they'll be looking at appraisals all the time. And they'll be able to tell you what your house is, at least a general idea of what it's worth, to see whether you're going to be able to actually qualify for that refinance. But usually when you buy a home, you're going to want to wait at least 12 months after you buy it to move forward with that okay. refinance, especially if you put a low down payment. You put a higher down payment, 20-30%, you might have a benefit to refinance in as little as even three to six months after you buy the house. But in most cases, after you purchase, you're going to want to wait 12 months to really build that equity. All up. right, let's say I do refinance. Do I need to pay all those, like the closing costs all over again when I when I refinance? You do. The closing costs can be different when you refinance versus when you purchase a home. There's going to be different types of closing costs that are going to have to be paid. There's certain things that are required when you're buying a home, like owner's title insurance, for mm -hmm. example, that is not required when you refinance. So the answer is yes, you have to pay them. But here is the secret sauce that so many people don't realize or understand, and they miss out on the benefit of refinancing. And what that is, is that closing costs on a refinance can typically, almost without exception, be rolled into the mortgage. And what that means to you is that it's amortized over the life of the loan. So you're paying those closing costs over a 20-year, 30-year period, and it's not a negative, it's a positive, because now it only costs you $8 a month. It's interesting that you say that, because when I was just talking about, or you were just, actually, you were just mentioning a little while ago to another, answering another question about, you know, ref, adding your debt into your mortgage when you refinance. Somebody had once, and I, I heard that before, and somebody said, well, why would you want to, something that you just charged on your credit card, let's say you bought a, a, a thousand dollar laptop, pay the darn thing off. Why would you want to take 20 years to pay that off? Why would you want to consolidate that debt into your into your mortgage, and you'll take forever to pay it off. Have you heard that before, too? Or I've heard it all the time, and like we spoke about on the debt consolidation show a couple weeks ago, that's the big mistake that people make, is that they look at it like that. Well, I'm putting it into my mortgage, and I'm going to pay it over 20 years. Stop that thinking, step back, look at it as a financial plan, and let's see 
how much you were paying before the cash out refinance, the debt consolidation, mm-hmm. how much you're paying after. Let's take the money that you were paying to the credit card debt and let's put that on your mortgage. So it's not going to be 20 years. It's going to be eight years. It's going to be 10 years. It's going to be one half to one third the time by reapplying that. If all you do is take that advice that you're going to stretch it out over 20, 30 years, then you're falling into the trap of the banks. You're doing exactly what they want you to do and you're never going to get ahead financially. See, that's what I wanted to hear. And that's why this show is so important, my friends. Um, I, I kind of teased a little bit at the top of the show on how you can obtain a book absolutely free. And here's the kicker. It's written by the star of the show. Rob Weinberg himself is the author of this book. And I got to tell you, I flipped through this. It's, it's not terribly long. You can probably get through it in a... Uh, if, if on a snowy day, you could kick in, put the fire on, put a nice cup of coffee on. And it's a quick read. It is. You can read it in a day, and if you have other things you can do, you can at least you can certainly read it in uh, the, an entire weekend. It's entitled "Mortgage Strategies for the New Millennium: Using Your Home Loan as a Financial Tool." Um, really quickly, because I'm running out of time. How long did it take you to write this book? Because there's a lot of info in here. It, it was a work in progress for about 18 months uh, that it took me. I mean, I spent about maybe six, seven months really getting all the content based on what my clients were telling me that they wanted. And then I spent about a year refining the content, making it very quick and readable. There's a lot of graphs and charts that are very easy and visually pleasing to see. So, um, there, you know, depending on whether you're looking for a reverse mortgage or a refinance or buying your first home or credit tips, we have chapters on all those. So you can literally pick and choose. You may find value in just one or two chapters, or you may read the whole thing cover to cover. Okay, so uh, and, and it's and it's rel- it's new. Uh, copyright 2019. So it's you know it's, it's about as new. And nothing has changed. Everything in here can be uh, is certainly applicable to today's industry. I want you to make sure that you know how to obtain this book right now, absolutely free. Don't even wait for the end of the show. I want you to email Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. Again, I'm going to repeat that for you because it, that email address serves as a dual purpose. Number one, for the sake of obtaining this free book right now, the first three people who email this radio show at the aforementioned email address, I'm going to repeat it for you, will obtain a free book, shipping, handling, out the door, all covered for you, as well as the cost of the book. You ready? Don't wait for the end of the show. Do it right now. Write this down. Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. The other function that that email has is if you've got a question maybe you'd like to have answered right here on these very airwaves, who knows? Could be as soon as next week. Um, I'd also encourage you to use that email address and get a hold of us. Well, I'll be happy to read off a question. Perhaps you can uh, you can answer it live right here on the airwaves. And of course, if you've got questions, I want to make sure that you are able to contact Rob himself. 860-413-3938. Very easy phone number. I'll repeat it for you anyways, because it's so important that if you've got a personal nature of your question, you address it directly to Rob Weinberg himself. 860-413-3938. 3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters. We will be back with you next Saturday. Until then, have a good one, everybody. So long.